let us turn to Jeremiah 17 to read the side text of this morning service. Jeremiah 17 from verse 5 through 13. Jeremiah 17 from verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Curse is the man who trusts in man and make flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. As a partridge that broods but does not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by right. It will leave him in the midst of his days, and at his end he will be a fool. A glorious, a glorious high throne from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. Word of the Lord. Let us now turn to our text, Psalm 1. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of, scoff of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of waters, that brings forth his fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. 
For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Thus says the Lord, Curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, in a salt land which is not inhabited." Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, these are very strong warnings the Lord gave to his people through the prophet Jeremiah. Why such strong warnings? Such strong warnings because the snake and his allies have been ceaselessly trying to woo God's people into rebellion since the Garden of Eden. God says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the devil says, rebellion against the Lord is the way to wisdom. So the perennial question has been how to live a blessed life. And it is a good question to think about, especially at the beginning of the year as we try, by the Spirit, out of gratefulness, to recalibrate, to reorient our lives to God. How do we live this year a life that is pleasing to God? How to live this year in a manner that is worthy of our calling? Do we make peace with the world? Or do we seek the true peace, the peace that only Jesus Christ gives? Do we live in rebellion to God's principles, in idolatry, or do we submit to God's principles and accept Him as our Creator, Heavenly Father, and the fountain of all wisdom? Do we follow the God of this world, or do we follow the true God, the God of the covenant? Do we follow death, or do we follow life? To incline our hearts toward the truth, to exhort us to choose life, the Holy Spirit shows us how God blesses the man who delights in his word. Therefore, it is my privilege on this this morning, to, in the beginning of this year, to deliver God's exhortation to us under the following theme, God blesses the man who delights in his word. God blesses the man who delights in his word. 
under this theme, we will see three points. His, his delight, his is for the blessed man, his delight, his fruitfulness, and his future reward. His delight, first point, his fruitfulness, second point, and his future reward, third point. Our first point, then, his delight. Our text starts with the expression, blessed is the man. We could also render it as, oh, the many blessings of the man. Here the Holy Spirit joyfully acclaims the many blessings of the godly man. As we shall see, the blessings are not primarily a set of emotions but the state of being in step with God, of knowing God rightly as our creator and heartily loving him. In brief, the state of living as he has created us to live. The Holy Spirit does not stop at the joyful exclamation. He characterizes the godly man by telling us what the godly man is not. First, the godly man does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. What does this mean? It means that the godly man does not listen to the advice of the enemies of God. He does not go to them to understand life. For example, he does not listen to worthy psychology telling him how to raise his children. He does he knows that the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 24, whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So the godly man does not listen when the world tells him, make your child the God of your home to show that you love him, or Cut off his healthy body parts to show your love. The godly man does not listen to such kind of things. Next, we read that the godly man does not stand in the way of sinners. What does this sentence mean? The sentence is not about going on a sidewalk on which the ungodly are walking and trying to hinder them. No. It means that the godly man does not cast his lot with the way of life of sinners. It means that you will not find the godly man on the broad way that leads to perdition. Whenever the godly man reflects on life's questions, he refuses to imitate the lifestyles of those who habitually transgress God's commandments. For example, when he thinks about marriage, he will not follow the world, the world in living in fornication with his partner to try to see if that partner is the right one. Finally, the godly man does not sit in the seat of scoffers. This statement means that the godly man does not associate fellowship with those who arrogantly reject God's word 
and openly attack his honor. The godly man will not have mockers as friends. For example, you will not see the godly man on social media giving thumbs up to people who mock God. You will not see him increasing their followings by clicking on their videos. In brief, in all of life, the godly man shuns those who willfully rebel against the Lord. The godly man, in the power of the Spirit, does so by refusing to follow their advice, by rejecting their way of life, and by shunning association with them. Now, why does the godly man reject the life of rebellion? He can reject the worldly life because he has another love. A love that is opposed to the love of the world. His heart overflows with love for God's instructions. And because he loves God's instructions, his mind always dwells on them. He says with the psalmist in Psalm 119, Oh Lord, how I love your instructions. All day long I am studying, pondering, ruminating on it. But wait a moment. How does the godly man find time to meditate on God's instructions continually? Doesn't he have work to do? Studies to do? The godly man can continually ponder, think, and speak God's instructions to himself because he has memorized them, because he has internalized them. The godly man has hidden God's instructions in his heart that he might not sin. And because he has memorized the word, he can think about it while walking, sitting, and lying down. He can, in every activity of his life, consider God's word. In this way, the Holy Spirit continuously renews the godly man's mind in the knowledge of God's will. In this way, the Holy Spirit enables the godly man to escape conformity to the pattern of this world. Brothers and sisters, think for a while with me about the Lord Jesus Christ. He had the Psalms on his lips while dying on the cross. How could he remember the Psalms while suffocating on the cross? It is partly because his life was a life of memorization of God's word. The book of Luke says that he was growing in wisdom and stature before God and before men. So we understand that Jesus also had to learn. So if Jesus, the God-man, spent time memorizing God's instructions... 
How much more then should we be memorizing God's words if we want to imitate Jesus? You might wonder, how can I memorize? I am too old or I don't have time. You can listen to the Bible, for example, while commuting, while doing your houseworks, or even while exercising. You can entertain yourself with sermons and read good theologians. You can study the Bible with your friends, participate to the women or men Bible societies. And you can also pray God to give you wisdom so that you will know how to make space in your schedule to spend time in the Word. There are so many ways to memorize the Word. But there is another way, one of the easiest ways. Can you guess what it is? I see some who have already who were in Providence last Sunday, so I guess they can guess what it is. But, yeah, if you thought about it, it is psalm singing. Yes, psalm singing. Sing the psalms. Use them regularly. And you will see that you will start repeating them to yourself after a while. It will become easier and easier for you to think about them. And the Holy Spirit will also use those psalms to make you more and more heavenly minded. There is much more to say about the necessity of memorizing God's word like Jesus. But for now, let us retain that the godly man, by the power of the Spirit of Christ, takes pleasure in thinking and speaking the word to himself. He can do so constantly because he has memorized it. In God's grace, we have the means of imitating the godly man. And one of the easiest ways to start is to sing the Psalms regularly. Now, let us see what God says about the fruitfulness of the godly man. This will be our second point. Our second point is fruitfulness. We read, he is like a tree planted by the streams of water. What does the imagery of a tree communicate? It communicates stability and life. But the tree is not a wild tree that grew on its own. Someone planted the tree. And who is that person? God is the planter. He planted the tree near an abundant water course. What does the water course represent? It represents the word. What then can we draw from this picture? We learn that God is the one who grants godliness and spiritual stability. We also learn that just like a tree needs water to grow, the godly man receives his spiritual growth, stability, and resourcefulness 
from God's word. When we link this imagery to our previous point, his delight, we realize that the godly man has understood by God's grace that his help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. He does not just confess it with his lips, but he believes it wholeheartedly every Sunday when he says it. And that's why he always delights in God's word and ruminates over it. Do you want to assess how much you expect God's blessings this year? Check your delight in the word. Do you want to be alive spiritually? Do you want to live a life of gratefulness this year? Be in the word. Otherwise, the desert of worldliness will engulf you and you will wither like the wicked man of Jeremiah 17, our side text. Next, we read, that yields its fruits in its season. What is that fruit that the tree produces? That fruit is the fruit of the Spirit. It has nine facets. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And since the godly man is in step with heaven, he produces his fruit in his season, when the season comes. Now, when is the season to produce the fruit of the Spirit? And the answer is always. It is always the season to produce the fruit of the Spirit. Is that natural? No, it is supernatural. Why is it supernatural? Because spiritual growth is in the hands of God. God's word is not an end in itself. It is a means of grace, a channel that the Holy Spirit uses to conform the godly man to his image. The Holy Spirit inclines the godly man's heart toward the word. And as the godly man absorbs, drinks God's words, the Holy Spirit uses it to bring forth spiritual maturity according to his good pleasure. Next we read, and his leaf does not wither. In other words, the spiritual life is permanent because the water sources never dry up. Why do the water sources flow continually? Because God, who began the good work of sanctification, is faithful to bring it to completion. Because God's word does never come back to, you, to him without having its effect. Because the words of the Lord are pure words, even as the silver which from the earth is tried and purified seven times in the fire. And God will keep them and he will preserve them from this generation and forever. Next we read, in all that he does, that the godly man does, he prospers. This means 
that God crowns the godly man's endeavor to grow with success. And in his life, and his life here on earth is more impactful already. Just like Isaac planted and harvested hundredfolds, the godly man's spiritual uh, pursuit, please, of spiritual growth yields immense success because of God's blessing. Do you want to be rooted and grounded in Christ? Be in the Word. Do you want to have the mind of Christ? Be in the Word. Do you want to access the divine treasures of wisdom and knowledge? Be in the Word. Do you want to overcome your flesh, the devil, and the system of this world? Be in the Word, people of God. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. Be in the Word. And God will offer Himself to you as your reward and your shield, your very present help in times of trouble, your only comfort in life and in death. Be in the Word. And springs of living water will flow out of you and God will make you an oasis amid this world that sin has transformed into a parched desert. Now, let us set our attention on the fate of the ungodly. While the godly man prospers, the wicked withers. Although he may appear green and prosperous, his life is vain, useless from the divine perspective. And that's why the Holy Spirit portrays the wicked as chaff. What is chaff? Chaff is the useless husk and impurities people remove from grains after harvesting. In ancient times, people would bring their wheat or barley harvest to a windy threshing floor and they would throw the grain into the air. And the grains, because of, the, because of their weight, will fall to the ground immediately. But the wind will blow away everything that is useless, the useless ask and the debris that we call chaff. God is telling us that the wicked man is worthless in the divine balance of things. So whenever you see God's haters prosper, do not be dismayed or even envy them for a moment. Their seeming prosperity is just a shadow, a 3D hologram, a dream that one forgets once he awakes. With this, we reach the end of our second point. So far, we have seen that God makes the godly fruitful and that the apparent prosperity of the wicked accounts for nothing. Now, let us see what God says about the godly man's future. And this will be our last point, his future reward. In this point, the Holy Spirit indirectly speaks about the godly man's future. He does so by contrasting the eternal life that awaits the godly to the damnation that awaits the wicked. We read 
Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The two lines express the same idea, which is the damnation of the wicked. Such a damnation can begin here on earth when the community becomes God-centered and the wicked receive repayment for their crimes. God can also providentially exert judgment through various calamities. But the full-fledged damnation will happen in the last day, the day of the Lord, when we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. There, Christ will measure all the works that we have done in the body to the standards of God's perfections. Then the works of the wicked will not stand the test, but the works of the godly will stand the test because they originate from true faith in Christ. Then Christ will expel the wicked to the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, saying, I have never known you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. Then all the pomp and lies that the wicked had used to dull his conscience and defend God's judgment will vanish. He realized that God has always known all his secrets and was angry with him daily, storing up wrath from him, for him every day. But while despair, sadness will overwhelm the wicked, joy, inexpressible, and relief will overwhelm the godly man. He realized that the same man who came to save him is his judge. He will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your master. I was the one performing in you all those works of gratefulness, all those sacrifices of obedience. What a nice thing to think about. What a great hope we have. Now, considering God's judgment, we should ask ourselves, does Christ know me? Has he given me true faith? If the answer is yes, I can see his work in my heart, then blessed are you. But if the answer is no, then that means you are on the way of damnation. Please, brother, pray to him to make you part of the congregation of the righteous. Pray to him to grant him repentance. Ask him to work miracles in your heart so that this year will be for you a year of repentance. Conclusion. What does the passage teach us? The passage describes how God blesses the man who delights in him. That man shuns worldliness in all its forms. Doing the will of God is his greatest delight. 
which is why he ponders God's instructions all the time. He walks by the Spirit continuously, and so he bears in his life the fruit of the Spirit. God also gives him immense success in the pursuit of godliness, great impact in this life, and an eternal inheritance. Now, in light of this summary, let us answer this extremely important question. Are we this man? And the answer for all of us here is no, unfortunately. The best of us have just a small beginning of the obedience that God requires of us. Only Jesus, the righteous, the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is this man. So, what do we do with this psalm? This year, let this psalm be to us a mirror. A mirror like the Ten Commandments. A mirror that shows us that we are lacking and do not meet God's standards. Yet, let it be at the same time a mirror that drives us to Christ as we realize that we fall short of what God requires of us. As children of God, members of the congregation of the righteous, let it be for us then a rule of thankfulness, a, path, a guide on the path of life, a guide on the path of a life of godliness, which is how we ought all to live. Amen.